Genesis 42. Genesis chapter 42. The life of Joseph. The life of Joseph just has so many principles in it. But really, to me, I look at it and I realize that the Lord's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because of that, I can really glean from his life. And his life reminds us of so many things in our life. Especially that where I'm at today, where is the location of God? What's God doing? When it looks like maybe he's not doing much. He's always in the process of doing something. So the life of Joseph really reminds us that God is always orchestrating behind the scenes. Might not feel like it, might not look like it, but that doesn't matter. He's orchestrating things behind the scenes in a way that we don't see. Therefore, we must remember and we must draw our own personal conclusions that his priorities are always eternal. The priorities of God are always eternal. And if we want to be used by God for the priorities of eternity, we've got to remind ourselves of that. It can make itself a little challenging for us. Because we're locked into the temporal for now. We might be locked into the temporal naturally, physically, but we don't want to be locked into the temporal mentally. We want to know that God is doing something on his eternal plan and our lives are benefited when we choose to be a part of that. Someday I believe that we will come and we're going to see the purposes behind the events and the chapters of our life that maybe were difficult, painful, and even challenging. But until then, we're reminded because of studies like this, as we track the life of Joseph, we can conclude that God is good, God loves us, God is with us, and therefore worthy of our unconditional trust. That's what this life helps us to remember. Chapter 42, oh, you never know what a day is going to bring into the path of the life of faith. Now, we're picking up here in the midst of famine, right? We saw that last week. We see this guy sold out by his brothers, Potiphar's wife, false accusation, goes to prison, meets the butler and the baker, and, and, and then the Pharaoh has a dream, and they're reminded of the dream, and they tell him there's a guy that can interpret it. He interprets it, tells Pharaoh what to do, and all of a sudden, he's number two in charge. And it's amazing, because when you look at the life of Joseph, this was all revealed to him beforehand. It was all revealed to him beforehand. God doesn't keep his kids in the dark. Pharaoh was in the dark because Pharaoh wasn't one of his kids. God doesn't keep us in the dark. It's this scripture in Jeremiah. I love this scripture. Call unto me. This is God speaking. Call unto me. And I'm going to answer thee. And I will show thee great and mighty things which you didn't know. We can draw 
the reality that there are great and mighty things that God wants to reveal to each one of us through this as we call out to him. Up to this point, we've observed a godly resilience. And I'm telling you, to live in these end days, there has to be a godly resilience in us. And the only way you're going to have a godly resilience in this life is to obey the first commandment that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And remember that the power is outside of us. God has provided the power of the Holy Spirit for you and I to be what we've been designed to be and to be where we've been designed to be. Those two things in operation can hold our courts until we stand before them and hopefully hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So we look at him and we look at, I, th- I think the challenge to us, okay, this is, this is a challenge. As I'm reading this, I'm getting challenged and I want to share my challenge with you and hope you will be challenged. You know, we see this godly, godly resilience, but, but here's the thing. All right, now you, you think about it too. Now, it, it's almost like there's two wheels, and we get to choose to be on one or the other. Our heart can, can be infected by the people of the earth. Think about what his brothers did. Think about what Potiphar's wife did. Think about him being forgotten when he, said, when he was told when he made a deal and he wasn't going to be forgotten. But instead of being infected by the people of the earth, he chose to instead be affected by the God of heaven. That's the will he chose to be molded on. And we need to ask ourselves, really, which will I'm on today? Because I'll tell you this right now, you can look at what's inside of your vessel. And if you look inside of your vessel and you can see love and, and, and you can see kindness and you, see, you can see grace and you can see mercy, then you can guarantee that you are on the wheel of God being molded for his glory, being a vessel of honor. But if you look in the other vessel, or you look in your vessel and you see inside of that vessel that there's bitterness, pride, resentment, fears, in unbelief, you better believe that you've got the wrong people molding your life. Joseph takes away excuses because he was clothed with the same flesh and blood that you and I have, a fallen heart. This was no Superman. Rip the cape off him, man. He's just like you, just like me. But he chose to do things different. He chose to do things in a way that would honor God. And there was something resolute in his character to make sure that that happened. Who we allow to mold us chooses who we become. We live in a world today that's full of bitterness and divisiveness. I mean, look at it for crying out loud. But us, God's people, we're designed to be something different. We look at this and I see potential of what all of us can be for the glory of God so that we can be used to the greatest degree he's ordained for our lives personally before he comes back for his church, which I believe is going to be very soon. Now, as we look at these verses, okay, 
Last verse of 41. And all countries came into Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn because the famine was sore in all the land. And when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto thy sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I've heard that there's corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy us from thence that we may live and not die. We look at these three verses, and you know what this is? This is a revelation of a promise God had given to his great-grandfather, Abraham. Remember what he told him? In thee, Abraham, your lineage, the Jewish nation, shall all families of the earth be blessed. Obviously, From Joseph's perspective, he doesn't know, but 17 years ahead, spiritually, eternally, the greatest blessing that we could have through Abraham was the fact that through his son and his his grandsons and through the lineage of the Jews came Jesus, our Messiah, who delivers us from our sins. That's the spiritual eternal blessing. But even at this point, through Joseph, there would be a physical, natural blessing because he would physically provide salvation for them. Not spiritually, not eternally, but physically and naturally. So we see God now here working through Abraham's lineage just like he said he would. So verse 3, And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. Remember these guys? I mean, we just left them a few chapters ago. They were verbally, physically abusive to to Joseph. They human trafficked him for 20 pieces of silver. Forced him away from his family and his land for the past 20, 22 years. Yeah, them. And here they come. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sent not with his brethren, for he said, lest preadventure mischief befall him. Benjamin, the son of the right hand, their father Jacob would not let him go. Think about it. Think about why. You think, you know, as a parent, I think about my kids' lives and, and how sometimes I, I wish maybe I would have made a different decision. Even my son's eye injury, I'm like, oh, man, I had some different connections I should have taken. You know, and you have these regrets that you're like, if I just would have done something different, if I wouldn't have sold, sent Joseph off that day, if he wasn't such a darn good boy and listened to everything I said, and I watched him go off in the sunset, and I never knew I wouldn't see him again. Or possibly, maybe he realized was scoundrels as other sons were, and thought maybe they did do something to Joseph, and there was no way they were gonna, he was going to entrust them this precious Little boy, Benjamin. Regret. If it just would have been a little different that day. If I just wouldn't have sent him out that day. And now we see with Jacob, he has fear, guilt, but it's turned him into that helicopter parent. You know, bubble wrap the boy. So verse 5, it said the sons of Israel came to buy corn or wheat. Among those that came from the famine that was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over all that land. Now, I want you to remember something that when they saw Joseph coming afar off, remember what they said? Behold, the dreamer cometh. They were filled with hatred, jealousy, and envy, divisive in their heart. 
Joseph could have said, behold, my betrayers cometh. But he chose to be a man of a different heart. We have to choose to be men and women of a different heart. And I'll tell you what, whenever we choose things that honor God, all of a sudden God begins to produce in our lives what honors him. But he bounces the ball in our court. What are you going to do with this? When we choose it this way, he empowers us to live out that choosing. If you will, take a minute and and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 with me. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Now in Genesis, it says that Joseph was governor over the land. Pretty simple thing to read. Got a high authority, high position, big title, a lot of power. Think about everything that it took to get him there. Think about all he went through to be placed sovereignly in this position that was going to save who knows how many lives. He's governor over all the land. He's second in command of the most powerful nation in the world at that time. You think about everything that it took for him to get there, and you look at the quality of leadership he now had to offer, and you see how it benefited everybody around him. Now, now look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, and remember who it was written by. Paul the Apostle. You think about the beatings he took, the threats that he had, the accusations he came under, the stoning, the sticks, you name it. And this is what he said, verse 17. I mean, you think you're having a bad day, he says, for our light affliction. <laughs> Every day. He could have died a horrific death because of the wonderful message of Jesus Christ. But like Jesus, he had his face set like a flint for the purpose of why he was created and why he was redeemed. For a light affliction, but look at this, which is but for a moment. Remember, God measures on an eternal timeline. Paul's saying it's but for a moment. You'd be thinking, well, I've been going through this for 10 years. Well, if you're in Christ, you got billions and zillions of years ahead of you. So that's why it's just but for this moment. It works for us. What does that mean? Our afflictions work for us. They don't work against us like we always conclude in our natural man. They actually work for us. See, what his brothers did to him, what Potiphar's wife did to him, those were all working for him. 
And not just for him, but what God would do in his life, that there would be an overspill that would bring the blessing into a multitude of people all around him. It works for us. The Greek word is kategorizmai, and it literally means a work from which something results. A work from a light affliction has the ability to produce a work in us where something results. And what it did with Joseph was it resulted in godly leadership. It resulted in godly revelation to bring blessing to a multitude of people. And it works a far more exceedingly eternal weight of glory. The weight of glory speaks about this godly density that would take place in our lives. But actually... So often, the places where God wants to do the great work that we ask him to do are in the places that we don't want to be in. Does that make sense? It's a place, look at man, that prison wasn't a Hyatt. <laughs> Potiphar's wife might, or house might have been, but that prison was no Hyatt. That pit was no Hyatt. Spending time with that caravan going to Egypt, man, that, that wasn't no limo ride. We don't know what could have happened to him with all those pagans. Well, you know what we do know? The Word of God says when you go through afflictions like that, God's working something in us for His glory. So whatever you're facing today, embrace it. Know that God, by faith, is working something in it. Choose to honor God the way Joseph did. Stay off the wheel of people molding you. Be on the wheel of God molding you. Because sometimes this plan takes decades to unfold. But what matters is that we fulfilled God's purposes for our life and not our purposes. You can go back to Genesis. So don't ever think that the trials in your life, the wrongs that have been done, the false accusations that you have endured are for nothing. Through them, God is doing something. And that something that often is a bigger picture than just you or me or us. So we see here, and Joseph was governor over the land, and he, it was, that sold to all the people of the land, and Joseph's brothers came <coughs> and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the earth. How about flashback, right? Genesis 37, 20 years prior, two dreams God gives him, showed his family bowing down before him. Even his own father said, shall I and thy mother and thy brethren come and bow down ourselves to thee in the earth? And the answer is, if God said so, absolutely. Isaiah 46, 11 tells us this. God says, if I've spoken it, I will bring it to pass. You know what that does? That bursts expectation and also confidence. That's why our faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We hold on to the word of God with expectation and confidence because we know the author cannot lie or lead us astray. So we hold on to these truths. When, when, when you look at the book of Revelation chapter 1, Verse 1, you think about John's difficult experience, right? He's on a rock island of Patmos, you know, like an Alcatraz. And he's there, and 
You know, he suffered a lot of persecution and he's there and, and he gets the great revelation that you and I get to study the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And this is what it says, Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. Shortly come to pass. It's been 2,000 years. Shortly come to pass on an eternal timeline. Joseph's dream on an eternal timeline. God has been 20, 22 years on an eternal timeline. So we see this in verse 7. It says, Joseph saw his brethren and he knew them, but he made them say, he wasn't going to let them know him. He made himself strange to them and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, where have you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Now, now I want you to think about this. You think about the flood of emotions that must have surged through his, his mind and his heart at this time. I mean, probably the joy in the love of wanting to hug them, and then the pain and the anger of wanting to choke them all at the same time. Come here, let me hug you and choke you, you know? But the wisdom he exercised was he wasn't going to do any of that. He was just going to let this thing unfold. And sometimes you just got to let God unfold something in your life. And they didn't know him, And look at this, verse 9. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he dreamed of them. Joseph remembered. He remembered the dreams. Now maybe. Now maybe the purpose of the past 20 years is becoming clear. Maybe all the whys that we ask ourselves are starting to be answered. And, you know, for you and I, as God's people, all of a sudden he remembers these dreams. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, Jesus said, but the comforter which the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Cause you to remember whatsoever I have said unto you. That's why, you know, when you and I go about our day, it's so important to be in tune with the Lord and with the Holy Spirit, because he's got things he wants to minister to us along the way, because we can get very discouraged with what we see down here uh, on, the, on the horizontal, but, but to recognize on eternal that, that these are triggers for you and I to remember the plan of God, the revelation of God coming to its fulfillment. We live in violent days, but we've been told that like the days of Noah would be the coming of the son of man. We see this promotion of an, uh, an abominable lifestyle in the eyes of God and how it's trying to push itself into all arenas of our culture right now. The homosexual agenda. And Jesus told us it'd be like the days of Lot would be the coming of the son of man. Breaking our heart because we're watching people fall away. But, but those are the things that we're told that are going to take place before the rapture of the church. Hear about the love of, of, of loving the church growing cold. We've been told that in the Olivet Discord. Hear and see spiritual deception heightening. I mean, this stuff's terrible, but it should be reminders if we study the Bible that our King is coming. There's a lot of things that the Holy Spirit wants to bring into our remembrance so we don't be overcome and discouraged by the days that we live in and the things that we see, but we stay optimistic and usable for the things that God's doing. So he, he remembers the dreams and he said unto them, you are spies. 
You've come to see the nakedness of the land. Are you come? And they had to examine these people that would come for this reason. You think about it right now, if a great famine, all of a sudden, all these Wegmans, Walmart, they didn't have a lick, of, they didn't have one can of corn on the shelves anymore. You think about if you were a prepper and you had like five years worth of food, man, you'd be guarding that. Hopefully sharing that, but you'd be guarding that. And, and that's what Joseph had to make sure that somebody wasn't there to try to start a war and to take over the food supply. But, and they say unto him, no, Lord, <clears throat> but to buy food are thy servants come. Now, now, I love this, all right? So this is what they say about themselves. We are one man's son, and we are true men. Give themselves a little pat on the back. Yeah, you guys are class acts. Thy servants are no spies, true men. I mean, that's an LOL right there, man. Laugh out loud. Simeon and Levi, man, they slaughtered a whole village. Judah slept with his daughter-in-law thinking she was a prostitute. Didn't know it was a daughter-in-law. Just thought it was a harlot. And, and also, uh, you know, he was the one that had the idea, let's make some money off of Joseph rather than just leaving him here in the pit. They, all these guys conspired to to slay him. Uh, Reuben let them do Joseph wrong, and he was the one that slept with his dad's concubine. All of them lied to Jacob and put a knife in his heart, making him believe over these 20 plus years that his precious son Joseph was dead. Yeah, you true men. You guys are awesome. Wish we had more like you in the world. But here's the bottom line. It's amazing how far off someone's self-perception can be. It's amazing how far off self-perception can be. The Phillips translation of James 1.22 says this, don't only hear the message, but put it into practice. Otherwise, you're merely deluding yourselves. A man who simply hears, does nothing about it, is like a man catching a reflection of his natural face in a mirror. And we do that to deal with the imperfections, right? To fix what's messed up as best as we can. He sees himself, it is true, but he goes off without the slightest recollection of what sort of a man he was in the mirror. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and makes a habit of doing so, is not the man who hears and forgets, he puts the law into practice. He wins true happiness. We look in here. We look in here to see Jesus and to see us. He needs no adjustments, but we do. And the Holy Spirit fills us with a love and a power not only to change, but to want to change and see anything unlike Jesus removed from our lives. And God is happy to do this work in us. So that's why it's so important for you to stay and I to stay in the Word of God and allow the Word of God to be really the reflection of what we see. And when there's an adjustment that needs to be made in the heart or the mind, that we trust the Holy Spirit to make the adjustments that need be so that we can stay on the path of honoring God and the path of freedom. So he said unto them, No, but to the nakedness of the land you're come. And they said to servants, we're, Look at, we're 12 brethren. All right, we are 12 brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan, and behold, the youngest is this day with our father. Now to Joseph, that's good news because, he, you know, Benjamin might have been a toddler at that time. You know, I, I, 
I read one commentary or listened to a commentary, and they, they said that it's possible Benjamin was around 22 at this time, you know. So he doesn't know. I mean, things happen. You know, he didn't even know if his brother was still around because he wasn't with them. And his past experience, he probably understands greatly why he wasn't with them. Uh, but he said, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. So we're seeing here that we're picking up on this, that their report to everyone that they came into contact with was that he was dead, that Joseph was dead. I can't imagine what's running through their mind. He's probably thinking, oh my goodness, my, my dad probably thinks I'm dead. Benjamin probably thinks I'm dead. That's what they're telling people. And Joseph said unto them, that is it that I spake unto you, your spies. Hereby you shall be proved by the life of Pharaoh, except you not go forth, except your youngest brother come thither. Benjamin is his full-blooded brother. They shared the same mom and dad. She died giving birth to him. He longed to see Benjamin. Remember what Benjamin means? Son of my right hand. For us, as we study the Bible, who is the son of the right hand? He's gone into heaven, is on the right hand of God, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of of God. So we too, we identify with Joseph and the great expectation of soon seeing physically with our own eyes, the son of the right hand. Seeing the son of the right hand is just around the corner. It's just a few chapters away. Oh, for Joseph and Benjamin, but I really believe for you and I in Jesus Christ. The son of the right hand. So he's longing to see him. And I hope each one of us here are also. And he says that. And he, then it says that he put them all together into the ward three days. So, so he imprisons them. I, I personally think, I don't know. I'm, I'm just plugging this in there. I think Joseph had to kind of detox from his emotions and consult with God on this situation. It's always good to detox from your emotions and not allow your emotions to be behind the wheel of your life, but to allow the Holy Spirit to be the one driving your life. But think about this, verse 17. They are imprisoned for what they are innocent of. Sound familiar? (laughs) There's a... There's a truth in the Bible about sowing and reaping. All right? He was in for a couple of years. These guys were only in for three days. But here's the bottom line. As they're sitting in there, there is a great potential of them being put to death. From their perspective. They don't know. You know, they think we're spies. If we're spies, we could be put to death. But he's letting them think some things out. But behind the scenes, God's doing something in their lives. God's doing something in their hearts. And it says here that in uh, verse 18, and Joseph said unto them the third day, this do 
I live and live for I fear I fear God. Now, now, now remember, feel God. Singular, that's the Hebrew God. You know, in, in Egypt, man, he, if he was a true Egyptian, he said, I fear the gods. Plurality. But no, singular. I fear your God. And they have no idea they can't pick up on the truth that, that it's the same God. Because he's speaking through with Egyptian language here. If you be true men... <laughs> That probably stung to the heart. Let one of your brethren be bound in the house of your prison. In the house of your prison, go ye, carry corn for the famine of your houses. But bring your youngest brother to me. So shall your words be verified, and ye shall not die. And they did so. The one that they wronged held their very life. In his hands. That's good news or bad news. Because that hand can be a hand that is holds security, confidence, and salvation, or it can also hold judgment. And it all depends on where you and I stand with Jesus Christ. Remember the blasphemer? Belshazzar? Daniel chapter 5, took all the sacred instruments, had a party orgy with them. And the judgment of God came down. Daniel told them, in whose hand your breath is. And that would be a judgment. But then, John 10, Jesus teaching about the, the good shepherd. He says, my sheep. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. It speaks of great security for those who have allowed Christ to be their Lord and Savior. So he said, uh, and they said, now, now, he, now here's an individual conversation. They have no idea that, that Joseph's Joseph. They have no idea that he, that, this, that he can understand the Hebrew because they don't know who he is. But they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul. He's in that pit. When he besought us and we would not hear, therefore is this distress come upon us. And here's the bottom line. You know what happened? The guilt's getting to them and they're haunted by the sins of their past. Haunted by the sins of their past. I tell you what, every one of us has got a closet with skeletons in it. But the beautiful thing about Jesus Christ, he takes that closet and he covers it with his blood. And Reuben answered them, and, and saying, Spake I not unto you, saying, Do not sin against a child, and you would not herefore behold also his blood is required. So, so now all of a sudden, Joseph's learning that Reuben tried to save him. He, he didn't know that. He didn't know any of this. All the pieces are falling into place for him at this point. Yeah, sure, we get the rest of the book. He didn't have the book. He's living the book. Do not, didn't I tell you, do not sin against this child? You know what happened here? 
it took a great trial in their life to bring about this confession of the sin that they had covered. And it's going to start to work favor in the life of Joseph towards them. They knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake unto them by an interpreter, and he turned himself about from them, and he wept, and returned to them again, and communed with them, and took from them Simeon, and bound him before him. The thing with us, we look at what guilt can do to a life. You can carry your guilt, you can take it to the grave, and be haunted by it forever in a Christless eternity. That's what you can do with your guilt of your sins. Or you can bring it to the cross, experience God's provision for forgiveness, new life, and eternal life. Isaiah 53 is like a transfer. How all of our sins were moved on to him, and all of his innocence moves on to us. Micah 7.19 says, You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Isaiah 38 says, You have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. And Psalm 103 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So the guilt, the condemnation, the skeletons in the closet, whatever they might be, when you come to Jesus Christ, you're forgiven, period. Because that's what he declared. I'm not saying that to make you feel better about yourself. I'm saying that because that's divinely true, and that should set everybody in this room at liberty. And Joseph commanded to fill their sacks with corn and to restore every man's money into the sack and to give them provision for the way. And thus did he unto them. He had the power to drop vengeance. All these guys could have been wiped out, executed. But he chose to exercise towards them grace and mercy because it was linked to a guy that had unconditional love. Unconditional love is a powerful tool in the hand of the Almighty. And we're watching that tool being operated in Joseph's life towards these individuals. Mercy is compassionate treatment of those in distress, especially when it is within your power to punish or harm them. So we're seeing mercy here to a beautiful degree. Could have been vengeful, chose to be merciful. That's what Joseph did. But something else he did, he didn't just provide for them, but he put treasure and wealth in their provision. I'll tell you what, 1994, Jesus provided salvation for me. When he dropped the blinders from my eyes and Christ became my Lord and Savior. But I'll tell you what else he did. In that provision of salvation, he also put treasure and wealth in my provision. And that treasure and wealth in my provision isn't just what he did for me, it is who he is for me, 24-7, 365. And you look at this. A key here is he would not let them pay for the provision of life, and neither will Jesus. He paid for the provision of life. He said it is finished. 
We can't add to the crowd. And you think about it right now. We are saved because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, period. Us trusting in that, putting our faith in him and what he accomplished there. Because if we try to add anything else to it, giving, good works, baptism, communion, whatever it might be, we are proclaiming that the cross of Jesus Christ is not sufficient. And I'm here to say the cross of Jesus Christ is more than sufficient. They laid in their donkeys with corn. They departed thence. And one of them opened his sack to give. And he espied the money, for it was in the sack's mouth. And he said unto his brethren, My money is restored, and lo, it's even in my sack. And their heart failed them, and they were afraid, saying one to another, What is this that God has done to us? They couldn't even, look at, guilt kept them. Look at, they were underneath so much guilt that they couldn't even enjoy the blessings of life because the wrong they were choosing to live. They couldn't even enjoy the blood. They thought that, that God was out to get them, even with this blessing. And they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, and told them all that befell them. And a man who is the Lord of the land spake roughly and took us for spies. And we said unto him, We're true men, we're no spies, we're twelve brethren, sons of a father. One is not, the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. And the man, the Lord of the country, said unto us, Hereby shall I know that you are true men. Leave one of your brethren here with me and take food for the famine of your households and be gone. So all, so far so good in Jacob's ears. Now all of a sudden, and bring your youngest brother to me. Then shall I know that you are sp- no spies, but that you're true men. So while I deliver you your brother, your brother, and you shall traffic in the land, trade in the land. It came to pass as they emptied their sacks, that behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when, they, when both they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said unto them, Me have you bereaved of my children. Joseph is not, Simeon is not, and ye will take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. So you could just see how the trauma of everything he'd experienced. Now, now remember, he lost like a, a surrogate mom. He lost his, the love of his life, Rachel. He lost his dad, Isaac, and, and then he, he thought he lost, well, as far as he knows, he lost Joseph. I mean, you, you can just see the trauma piling up in his life. And, and Reuben spake unto his father, and, and here's one of those father of the year quotes, kill my sons if I bring not to thee, deliver into my right hand and I will bring them to thee again. Look, at if I don't bring Benjamin back, you can kill your grandkids. <laughs> Whatever, man. And, and he said, my son shall not go down with you. He's digging his heels in. For, for his brother is dead and he is left alone. If mischief befallen by the way by which you go, then shall you bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. He, he's, now remember, Benjamin, he was a connection. He was a connection to Rachel. All right? And, and you know how brothers are, they, they have great similarities. There's probably so much of Joseph that, that he could see in Benjamin. Even maybe his looks, maybe his personality, but just from being from the same gene pool, you know, and, and he was unwilling to do this. He, he said, you know, one more thing and it's just going to kill me, you know, and, and we're going to pick up next week on the rest of the story, but, you know, these things are written in the scripture for and examples are set in the Bible um, for our learning. You know, that, that, that we would learn. Look, at, in, a, in as much as we see that God's working through the circumstances, 
God's also working in evil men's hearts to extract what shouldn't be there. That's what was going on. Thank God that God works in evil men's hearts because I was one of those evil men for 24 years. But God is faithful. Father, we give you thanks that in your word we find hope and encouragement, revelation and direction. And Holy Spirit, just like we spoke today, that you have the same ability to to remind us of all the wonderful truths and promises of the Bible the same way that you did Joseph. That you you reminded him of what was shown to him. And I pray for this family here, God. Pray for us as a church that we would continue, Lord, just to choose to graze in green pastures, Lord, by feasting on your word and by seeing the importance of fellowshipping with one another and really identifying the gifts of our life and exercising those things for the building up of the body. We thank you, Lord, for individuals like Joseph that have so many Christ-like attributes. And we pray, God, that that we would take from his very character and that we would glean great truths and, and that we would allow you to cause us to step to those challenges, that we would be the clay on your wheel that you're purifying, that you're refining, and that you're making us vessels of honor fit and meet for your use. I pray for anybody in here, Lord, who's allowing people circumstances and hardship to be the molding of their life with vessels that are filled with all kinds of fleshly attributes. Pray, Father, that by the working of your Spirit that you would move in such a way in that heart or those hearts that they would choose to get themselves back on your wheel by repentance, by forgiveness, by faith, so that you can make them the vessel that you've ordained them to be before the foundation of the world. We bless you, Lord. We thank you that we're loved. We're thankful that you're here. In Jesus' name.